As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza, right here on L.A. Talk Radio. Greetings to all of you listening around the world and a warm welcome as we bring you another edition of the Answers for the Family radio show. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and if you're a regular listener, thank you for joining us once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home, get comfortable as we bring you Answers for the Family. Now, each week, this show will address issues such as locating a runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addictions, lasting health, and so much more. Now, having over 30 years' experience working with families in crisis, I've been fortunate to meet and work with some of the top professionals in many of the helping fields and skilled authors who are working to make this world a better place for all of us. Now, you can all do me a big favor. So please check out some of our past shows at AnswersForTheFamily.com to hear some informative and entertaining guests, as well as some dynamic co-hosts discuss ways for you and your loved ones to become happier, healthier, and more at peace. Now, I'm also looking for some show ambassadors who will forward at least one of our shows to your social media group and or someone you know that can benefit from a particular show. Now, I guarantee you, many of you out there are going to listen to this show and say, I know exactly who to send this to. So when you get that feeling, please do so. Now, um, hopefully with me today is going to be the guest co-host, which is Gabriella Von Ray. For those of you that have been listening, you know that we've been doing a little piece called Where in the World is Gabriella? as she travels around the world on her Dare to be Kind movement. So she's been on the road since February, and she's interviewing 
people from all walks of life, uh, nonprofit associations uh, and, and people in various communities and stuff talking about her Dare to Be Kind movement. And it's really very simple. She's just asking that everybody do one act of kindness a day within a two mile radius. Seems simple, but that one thing will make a huge difference. So she'll be able to join us. One of the things about being on the road is everything doesn't always work in the right time frame that you might want it to be. So she will be with us soon. But we will still continue in regards to our guest, who is Yoon Ro, which means soft cloud. Uh, and he's been called the new Alan Watts. He was born Arthur Rosenfeld in New York City, and he received his academic background at Yale, Cornell, and the University of California, and was ordained as a Taoist monk in China in 2012. He is the host of the hit national public television show, Longevity Tai Chi, and he is the author of more than 15 books, including award-winning novels, optioned for film in Hollywood and in Asia. Now, in recent years, his nonfiction books offer Taoist prescriptions for the challenges of culture, society, and everyday living, while his novels blend Chinese history, science fiction, and fantasy into frolicking, thought-provoking reads. Now, now monk Yun Ro began his formal martial arts training in 1980 and has studied with some of China's top Tai Chi grandmasters. In 2011, he was named Tai Chi Master of the Year at the World Congress uh, and a traditional, uh, in regards to Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Now, the Action on Film Festival recently chose him for their Maverick Award, and they've had previous recipients have included uh, David Carradine, John Savage, uh, and um, uh, oh, what's her name? Oh, um, Tyler Shire. That's right. And uh, anyway, they then established an award for writing excellence in his name. Now, in July of 2014, he was the opening and closing keynote speaker at the International Tai Chi Symposium in Louisville, Kentucky. And in 2016, the American Heart Association profiled him as an inspirational resource. Um, I had to tell you, um, you know, I, I'm excited to have him on here. I, as I continued to gather more information, I learned that, that the Florida Sun Sentinel uh, called his novel A Cure for Gravity one of the 10 best books of the year in 2000. His bestseller, The Truth About Chronic Pain, was a finalist for the prestigious Books for a Better Life Award. And his title, Tai Chi, The Perfect Exercise, is widely regarded as a standard work in the field. Now, reading his latest book, Mad Monk Manifesto, a prescription for evolution, revolution, and global awakening, you will discern that he has answers to many questions. Uh, Yun, welcome to Answers for the Family. Wow, that was something so embarrassing. So <laughs> thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you today. Well, I, I'm 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 thrilled to have you. And and as we were speaking about ahead of time, I think it is so apropos that you are here on uh, the celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, a person uh, that we all know focused on peace, and at the same time wanting change. And and as I was reading through your book, that was that was the overall theme that I got was 
this this passion for wanting and believing in that we need change and yet at the same time uh a great feeling of peace that this is the way it needs to be done um so i guess the first question is because this is radio and it's it's not uh it's not video so people aren't seeing you but how did a jewish boy from new york become a taoist monk (laughs) so just just before i uh before i can uh address that let me just say that i think the way in to connect our talk uh today with martin luther king day is through compassion which is one of what the taoists call their three treasures the other two being frugality and humility and if gabrielle joins us uh her kindness mission is also very congruent with that. So uh, to the monk question, I, you know, I think that many people are born with some proclivity or other, which just irrepressibly manifests throughout the course of their life, regardless of all the uh, trials and tribulations, challenges and opportunities that, uh, you know, forces at work on us that life presents. And so I guess for me, it was that I was a seeker. Um, I was just one of those folks who wanted to be like a little turtle who could swim on the surface of the pond and look out at the great big world and then duck his head under the water and see everything beneath the surface too. And uh, I wasn't getting too many answers from the community and circumstances in which I grew up. And I just kept on digging deeper and deeper. My father, uh, my late father, uh, was a show host on Fox News. It was a program called Daily House Call, uh, uh, Sunday House Call, and he was um, he was for many years the the most famous cardiologist, maybe in the world for decades. And the result of that was that the people who ran the world in those days, kings and princes and captains of industry and Hollywood moguls and stars and all the rest, were in this steady parade through. Uh, my childhood home in Manhattan. And during the course of that parade, I got to notice something quite jarring, which was that these folks who were supposed to have and represent everything that all of us should want out of life, at least that's what we're being told. Mm-hmm. Celebrity pain, uh, celebrity, uh, celebrity fame, uh, fortune, uh, looks, and all the rest, were in fact, you know, no happier than the rest of us. And in fact, many of them were miserable and some of them were even miserable characters. And, and this was such a jarring experience to see that it, it challenged me to wonder what other bills of goods I was being sold about the way the world works. So, you know, I began digging and reading uh, books in my mom's library. She was a student of the uh, late Jewish philosopher Martin Buber. And I came to uh, Asian... Uh, sources, and although, of course, I didn't understand them as a kid, I had a sense that something was there for me. Anyway, that was the start of it. The rest is a decades-long journey. Well, now, uh, obviously, I did some background and stuff, and I was trying to to learn a little bit more. Uh, I also, when I'm when I'm reading your book, I do it oftentimes at the gym, and so I'm I'm sitting there and I'm pedaling, and having done this now for years. There's a variety of people that I know that walk up to me and they go, so, Alan, who's going to be your guest this time? Because they see I have a book there. And then sometimes based on what they say to me, it it brings out other questions. And 
And quite a few people, as they asked, you know, I, I would say, well, you know, my guest is going to be a Taoist monk. And the question that came back more than anything else was, what is a Taoist? And then a couple actually said, is that like a Buddhist? And it, so my question to you is, what is the difference between a Taoist and a Buddhist monk or, or their philosophy? So, you know, Buddhism is much better known, um, at least by its name, as both a religion and a philosophy by people here in the West. And it has many adherents around the world. Um, Taoism is actually, and this is the sort of surprise for listeners, Taoism is something that American people know much better than they know that they know because of the good works of George Lucas. So the Star Wars universe is some kind of entertaining and fictional presentation of the Taoist worldview. And in his, in his universe, that Star Wars universe, um, Lucas drew, uh, I can't, I wasn't in his head, but it's, it appears that he drew on the juxtaposition between uh, Confucian followers and Taoist followers across the millennia of Chinese history. Confucianists were folks who followed a teacher who outlined specific rules for living, the way uh, we interact with other members of our family, our cohort, authority, society, rites and rituals and uh, prescriptions for daily behavior. The Taoists, by contrast, were wild bacchanalian men and women who were more likely to party in the forest and then retreat for a month to meditate in the cave uh, than they were to adhere to rules and regulations. They were followers of the way of nature. And I don't know that I would say nature worshipers, but certainly nature venerators. So when you think of Star Wars, think of the Confucianists as the Empire uh, with their clone troops and their starships and their weapons and their great force and numbers. And think of the Taoists as the rebels hiding in the forest with the Ewoks and <laughs> in caves and uh, small numbers. Uh, rebelling against people telling them what to do and distrusting the law uh, of men uh, and relying instead on the laws of nature. You know, with with that description, it, it took me in a different direction. Are you familiar with the um, the movement of the rainbows, both here in the United in the United States and abroad? I am not. Okay, uh, I, I suggest you check it out. I've uh, I've worked some cases that involved the rainbows, and what you just described um, is very similar to you know to what you're talking about, um, and especially when you're just when you're explaining it as maybe George Lucas may have seen it, um, having worked cases and and studied the rainbows a little bit. I think there might be some some similarities. Interesting. I wonder if they have Taoist roots. I'll look into it. That's yeah, that's exactly my thought. So, well, let's, um, you know, let's talk about the book a little bit because, you know, the, and again, as I'm sitting there pedaling at the gym and people are coming up and they're seeing the, the, you know, the, the name of the book, um, Mad Monk Manifesto. 
Okay, that brings up all kinds of visions for people. Um, share with us a little bit about, after 15 books, why you chose to write this book and why that name is what you came to. Well, you know, monks prize equanimity and personal peace and equilibrium. And so I'm slightly abashed to admit that um, events of 2016 and and subsequent events uh, got me a little excited when I saw the direction in which our country was headed. I feel that uh, in America we have more of an anti-culture than a culture. We're a very uh, young country, and we, we were based so founded not so much on ideals as some people suggest and as Martin Luther King wanted us to appreciate but um, on you know more mundane uh, forces such as evading taxes avoiding taxes at least um, you know the right to have slaves uh, and uh, escape from not maybe religious persecution, but at least religious primacy for some people. So there was a bit more of the marketplace involved in the founding of our country. And, you know, King was exhorting us to look at the utopian documents uh, that associated themselves with our founding. And so I think, you know, I was thinking at the time that I wrote this, that the word manifesto connotes that kind of utopian vision. Um, and it's not so much that the words in the book are necessarily something that I expect people to cleave to exactly, but rather the, the world that I, that I portray and the human potential that I portray in this book is something to shoot for. So that's you know why uh, manifesto. Uh, monk is because I am one, and mad is because the word unlike the word angry or the word outraged, um, contains an admixture of both disquiet, dissatisfaction, and also a little bit of craziness. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that probably describes me accurately. Uh, my friends would likely agree. So, so you know, uh, Taoist thinking um, is constructed much the way it's constructed, it has a, uh, it has a pattern, it has a flow to it. And that flow resembles somewhat the dropping of a stone into a pond. And that first drop is the change or action that we take in, for, or by ourselves. So it's the stone is the centerpiece of all those ripples that head outward into the pond. And that, that centerpiece is the person, the practitioner, the devout. So the result, of course, of dropping the stone is that these ripples propagate, radiate outward at a certain speed and, and with a certain wave height and uh, in certain directions. And along the way, they touch things and move things, leaves, and, and uh, they bump up against rocks and the shore and but the, the point of the metaphor is, of course, that once the stone has dropped, we cannot control either the action of the waves or the results that they uh, produce. So in my book, I begin with um, 
a prescription for how we see ourselves and who we believe ourselves to be and how, what choices we make regarding um, our sense of ourselves in the world and in our community. And I challenge and offer some different ways of seeing those things. And then, you know, the rest of the book continues outward from work on the self to work and effects of this work on the self on our families, on our communities, on our towns, villages, towns, cities, our country, and ultimately our world. And I finish up, uh, I talk a lot about environment, and I finish up with an exhortation to the value of service and spirituality in daily life. Well, and, and I know, and one of the things that you talk about also um, and, and write about, you know, is Tai Chi. Uh, in fact, in, as I said in the introduction, you even have a successful television show on the subject. So share with us a little bit about about Tai Chi, about what it is, because, again, I think it's something that if you ask, you know, 10 different people in the United States, you're probably going to get about five different answers anyway of what they think it is. Right. So, um, you know, unlike some other belief systems or philosophies, Taoism is predicated upon the idea that in order to enlighten the mind, to open the mind, to pop that cork at the top of your head and open yourself to the larger world and what's going on in the universe around you, you have to first create the right kind of body, mm. a healthy body that supports that transformative process. And Taoism is full of different uh, traditions, different practices from motionless meditation, standing, lying, sitting, to walking meditations, uh, to energy exercises known as Qigong, uh, mm -hmm. and to a few different uh, traditional Chinese martial arts of which Tai Chi is one. So Tai Chi was invented by a family in the north of China back around the year 1600 of the Common Era. And um, it was intended as a battlefield art. It was not a spiritual practice at its outset, although it was uh, built on a tripod of Chinese medicine, uh, the folk martial arts of the day, and Taoist philosophy. But rather, it was, a, it was a technique, a system that was taught to members of this family so that when the emperor's troops swooped in to conscript unwilling uh, boys and men to go to war against an enemy they didn't know for a cause they didn't care about, uh, at least some of them would come back alive. So um, we could say that you know Tai Chi was initially extremely good for your health because the first step in having good health is not dying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, you know, over the years, people who practiced this martial art and who never knew when they would wake up to the sound of horse beats, people coming into their village to gra drag them off to war by the scruff of the neck, they, they kept on practicing because they knew that this threat was omnipresent and ubiquitous. And that if they practiced, they had a better chance of living when it happened and of coming back to their families. And so, you know, after a while, people began to notice that even when they didn't go to war, this practice seemed to be really good for people's health. It kept them youthful and uh, engaged and alive. 
uh, and lively and, and so on. So, you know, over the years, people came to prize it not only as a, as a battlefield martial arts system, but also for its health benefits. I, I mean, I, I think it's great and it's interesting. You mentioned Qigong. Um, my girlfriend uh, does Qigong every day. And uh, she is very youthful looking, um, very healthy, uh, of good sound and, you know, of good sound mind and body. Uh, and she has done it for, I mean, since she was a child. Uh, so for many, many years, having done it originally in China and then now doing it here. So I've seen firsthand, you know, the value of it. And she's spoken about um, some of the health issues that some of the people that, uh, that chose not to do it at a time in which she started at a young age and, you know, and how she's doing great and how some of those are, are now having much more serious health problems. And, you know, she suggested to them that maybe, you know, it's never too late that maybe they should start as well. The majority of people who practice Tai Chi are wittingly or not engaging Tai Chi as a form of Qigong of energy exercise uh, exercise that encourages the flow of energy through the body. And, and for our listeners who are uncomfortable with the term energy, they can think of it in terms of circulation, uh, blood, um, uh, uh, and so on. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can say that when I go to reunions of classmates and so on from years ago, I am often struck um, by how fortunate I am to have been doing this uh, practice for so many years. Uh, because I, I, I enjoy somewhat better vitality and youthfulness than some of my classmates. Good. I, I believe that Gabriella has joined us. Gabriella, are you there with us? Well, I just got an instant message that she was on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Gabriella, are you with us? Yes, I am. I am so sorry, but I had to help someone, and that's important, too. Absolutely. Um, so, um, well, first of all, you know, let me introduce you to Yoon Ro, our guest. Uh, and then after that, tell us, answer the question that we start the show with, where in the world is Gabriella today? First of all, hi, Yoon. I, uh, I read all about you, and I'm so excited to... Uh, to be able to ask you some questions today. And back at you. I read all about you and I'm excited <laughs> to be in your wonderful company. Okay. And uh, I, I really do have lots of questions uh, about Tai Chi. Um, and I, uh, Alan, and for everyone uh, that is listening, I am in Minneapolis at minus 10 degrees in Minnesota. <laughs> wow. And I don't have to tell you about the wind chill. Uh, this morning I went out very briefly, <laughs> and I felt my face fell off from the just the wind chill. Ooh, and I had earmuffs, and uh, it was a very brief outing. <laughs> well, well, what I can tell what I can tell you about minus ten that I know that you do not know is what minus ten feels like on a bald head. <laughs> no, I do not know what that feels like. I, I have a head of hair. I cannot, oh my God, I can't even imagine. But I did have earmuffs. It's not fun. It, it's not fun. No, I, I can tell you. But, you know, I'm used to living in California near Allen. 
And uh, I tell you, this is quite the experience. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, I, um, and, and before we get back, I, I want to just share with our, our listeners a little bit. Um, you know, for those that, that don't know or haven't heard um, what Gabriella is doing, so again, traveling around the world. And so so what, what she made me aware of through instant messages in regards to her not being able to be here was the fact that, that she had run into a young girl uh, that really needed her help and, and just felt that it would not be right to break away from her right at that point in time. And, you know, that's what kindness is all about, is you're, you're putting other people's um, needs in front of your own. And you've done that ever since I've known you. So um, thank you for that. And, and, um, and again, we're, you know, we're very thankful that, you know, that you're out there, that you're doing it. And that's one of the many ways in which we can all make a positive difference in the lives of others. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. So, Gabriella, why don't you jump in? We were just talking about Tai Chi and you have some questions. So jump right in while we're on that, uh, that part of the, uh, the subject. Okay. Well, for me, uh, Tai Chi is, I, I know it's longevity. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And the reason I was thinking of Tai Chi the other day is because I heard on the news that the oldest living person uh, died in Japan. He was, I don't know his name. Sorry, I forgot. But he was 113 years old. And... Uh, one of the things the article said is he did Tai Chi. I mean, he did many other things. But do you contribute um, when you do daily Tai Chi to longevity in your life? And do you recommend it for us? So, you know, some people say that a person's voice is a measure of, a measure of their vitality. And perhaps you can tell me what do you think of my voice knowing that I'm 146? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing great. Where I think you're good? doing great, but I know you're not yeah. 146. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I wish I could have seen your face right now. 
<laughs> well, I'm laughing, as you can hear. So, yeah. so you know, I, I think, look, there are many contributing factors to okay. longevity. And, and I do think that the reason why Tai Chi is such a potent contributor to longevity is that it is a multifaceted practice. So when done in its fullness and completeness, that is with an understanding of martial application. By that, I do not mean martial intention, but I mean martial, uh, an understanding of the body mechanics of each movement. Because, of course, if you don't really know what the movement is and what it's intended to do, you can't be sure you're doing it correctly. Um, so a combination of, of the correct body movements, which uh, contain a great deal of spiraling, which, mm -hmm. by the way, is the most effective way to move liquid through a solid matrix. And in the case of our body, that's blood and lymph and interstitial fluid through the, you know, the hard parts of, of us. Um, and and in, in addition to spiraling, uh, that, that helps, you know, the spiraling helps our circulation. But in addition to that, what's, what's different and significant about Tai Chi, and I said it was a multivariate practice, is, is not just the physical... But if you are doing it correctly, that is not only with an understanding of the body mechanics, but also with an understanding of the overarching philosophy, the umbrella under which it lives, then the physical practice begins to, the physical practice subsumes and connects to a set of ideas and you begin unconsciously to realize that you are learning and believing and in integrating principles of balance and harmony and high-mindedness in your practice, sensitivity and awareness to the world around you. And that sensitivity and those other qualities contribute to you being able to live according to something Taoists call Wu Wei, which is sometimes translated as effortless living, but really it doesn't mean kicking back on the couch with your feet up, eating chips and watching the ball game. It, it rather means feeling, detecting, noticing, sensing the forces at work in the world and living in accordance with those forces so that you are maximally effective with minimal effort. And living that way, of course, you live a long time. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We're, we're going to take a break. But for anybody, if you would like to to follow along, uh, I'm going to give you um, uh, Yoon's website, which is www.monkyoonrow.com. That's Y-U-N-R-O-U. If you want to if you want to go to the website and follow along, obviously, if you're driving, don't try this. But for those of you sitting at your computer, you want to open up another window, we're going to take a break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Answers for the Family. Founded over 30 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, Westshield has continually focused on resolving issues that negatively impact families and businesses. Our signature therapeutic transportation service helps to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely transported to specialized schools, programs, and treatment centers with unsurpassed experience and success. 
We are supported by our full-service licensed investigation agency that has legally, professionally, and compassionately located hundreds of runaways and teens. We are experienced and qualified to help, offering solutions which may include referrals to our international network of top professionals in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, psychiatry, and investigations. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services and West Shield Investigations are the best solutions when your family is facing a personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's 1-800-899-8585, or visit our website at westshield.com. Thank you. And we're back. You're listening to Answers for the Family, and with me is Gabriella Von Ray and Monk Yoon Ro. And we are talking about his new book, Mad Monk Manifesto, a prescription for evolution, revolution, and global awakening. And we're, we are here, uh, for those of you that are listening on, you know, if you listen to this in iTunes later or whatever, it is Martin Luther King's birthday. We are celebrating that. And what better way than for me to have our ambassador to kindness and, and a, um, a Taoist monk that is focusing on change, but doing it in a very peaceful way. I think we've got all the bases covered. So uh, both of you, thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you for having me. Here. Having me. Um, I have a question for you. Um, you used the, you, you coined the phrase, the tyranny of time, and you suggest that we do not fall prey to it. And um, I wanted to ask you, how can the everyday person like myself not fall prey because you know um the schedules of your work schedule is already sometimes so crazy with network meetings so that you never really can listen to your body and the reason i want to ask you this question is i had the incredible opportunity one week to go in solitude and not have anything but nature around me no phones no internet no nothing and i was I mean, my face just looked 10 years younger when I was done with the week. So that's why I'm asking you, because talk about longevity. It really helps just taking that week. Well, you know, this is a can opener question and a whole flood yep. of things come in for me. Um, yep. So so let, let's say it this way. The people who uh, had the opportunity and took the time to observe nature very closely for hours, days, weeks, months, years on end, decades on end, and who learn to see the way nature unfolds mm -hmm. are the people who were the authors of the Taoist classics that we now refer to when trying to understand this philosophy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, somehow when you describe, uh, you know, your work schedule and so on, somehow Implicit in this description is a set of values that you have accepted, namely that it's more important to have all those meetings than it is to have a deeper understanding of the world and or take care of yourself. And I don't I don't I'm not uh, insulting you or faulting you for this. It is just that we we are all this way. We have all fallen prey to forces we do not recognize, often because we grew up with them, perhaps not in your case, I read a little bit of your bio, Gabriel, but, but, but in many cases in the listening audience, 
you know, we grew up in this sort of anti-culture where the forces at work are largely forces generated by people who do not have our best interests at heart. Okay. They are forming they are forming agendas that are based on their what's good for them, not what's good for us. Mm -hmm. And that includes, you know, corporations, uh, vendors of all kinds, uh, our government, uh, you know, sometimes our bosses. Um, and, and so when those people are attacking us, although we don't necessarily see it as an attack, but it is, um, when they are attacking us with messages that frame the way we see the world and construct the value set upon which we operate, we, we fall prey to what, what you referred to and I referred to as the tyranny of time. And so the bottom line there is that when we don't take time to think deeply about anything, the people who are at work on us win because thinking deeply is the thing that makes us up and go, wait a minute, how is it a good idea, for example, to trade a non-renewable resource like time, yesterday's gone, a moment ago is gone, that, uh, you know, last year is gone, that love affair is gone, that job is gone, that child is gone. How, how is it a good idea to trade time for a renewable resource, money? And once, once we have established that people have a roof over their head and have enough to eat uh, and have a social circle, all the rest, all the rest of the things that we chase, the things that we chase so hard that we don't actually need, striving mm -hmm. to pay for them with money we don't have, all of that is exactly what these forces at work on us want us to do. And when we stop and think deeply about who we really are, when we understand the interconnectedness of things and how we are creatures of time, not of space, not of Mercedes, not of apartments and houses, but of time, mm -hmm. then we make changes in our life and we begin to wake up. And of course, that's good for us, but it's not good for people who are making a profit from our attention and the attention economy or from our, our efforts. So, you know, one very simple thing we can do is we can turn off the internet and turn off the television and just read books. Because mm -hmm. in the reading of books, you know, we have time to activate our brain, to think quietly, and to choose the content we let in and the, and the ideas that we put into our heads. Absolutely. I like that. Yeah, I do too. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, I have said in many times in regards to, um, you know, as far as, the, like you said, turning off the television, turning off things like that, you know, that you have, you have commercialism where they're telling you things um, because of their own profit. I mean, they need to make money off of it. So they are buying your eyes and your ears. And, and in politicians, they're buying your vote, but they're not doing it for you. They're doing it for themselves. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, and as we, we mentioned the leaders and stuff, and again, this being Martin Luther King's birthday, I just want to share one of his quotes, which I think fits perfectly with what you just said. We need leaders not in love with money, but in love with justice, not in love with publicity, but in love with humanity. So... You know, again, that's Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. So, I, so totally. two things come up for me. 
one one is the is the notion of a leader, which I'll get to in a second. But just to finish the the, the point that you just made, that we just discussed the trajectory of these forces and the way our lives are being diminished and demeaned is so global and so grand. Uh, some authors have called it dataism, and dataism means that we are basically our human lives are being turned into nothing but the source of data that we provide, our proclivities, our preferences, and our habits, and we are becoming ones and zeros. And any spiritual notion, any individual, even biological notion, is going away. And this is a, this is a very large subject. We can't get into it here, but it's something to be aware of. As far as leadership goes, the Taoist idea, um, when we started the show, um, uh, Alan, you told me that your your idea was, you know, to sort of get out of the way and the guest be, the show be about the guest, and that is the sign of of a great leader. In um, in Taoist philosophy, uh, the worst leader is the one of whom people are afraid. Slightly better uh, is the one people hate. Slightly better is the one people like. Slightly better is the one people love. But the best leader of all is the one that nobody knows is there. Not only is the person not known, but the job is not known. There is a sense in the ship of life that the ship is just going forward and all the members of society are enjoying this wonderful cruise because they're such lovely people and they all get along. And nobody realizes that in the bowels of the ship, the leader is sitting with sensitive fingers on the tiller avoiding the icebergs and the storms. And so you can contrast that vision of leadership with uh, what we have in the United States and, and around around the world these days as tyranny rises. Yeah, yeah, and, and very well put. Um, no, I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that that I found in your book and and it's not something, you know, as I started reading something, you know, again, I'm, I'm reading something for the first time called Mad Monk Manifesto, folks. And so all kinds of ideas are going through my head. But what I didn't expect to read was a call for civil disobedience. OK, when you think of a monk, that's not what you think of. Um, so if you can share a little bit about that, because, um, you, you know, you you seem to have a definite revolutionary feel to it. Um, are you actually suggesting we re resist our government? And if so, how do you suggest that we do this and that it is done peacefully? So, Gabrielle knows that um, there are uh, monks who are politically active and who uh, are rebellious in spirit. Um, it's not actually un uh, unusual to have monks, particularly Taoist monks and, and even Buddhist monks too. There's a wide tradition of um, Buddhist monks at war uh, when it's necessary. So, um, uh, you know, the idea that we do what we need to do and then leave it uh, is, is, a, is both a Buddhist and a Taoist idea. As far as, you know, civil disobedience, um, this connects very much to what we just finished talking about, which is to when you become aware of forces that are acting upon you and you become specifically aware of the malfeasance of some of those forces, then you have a moral obligation to resist them. 
How you resist them is, is another question, and it's a question that is probably unique. Uh, there it has an answer that is unique to the situation. So, uh, you know, I, I, I like to talk about something called door number three, uh, or the third door, where door number one is uh, force against force. Uh, door number two is yielding. And, and those two options are rarely good. Mm -hmm. It's rarely good to lay down your arms and surrender to tyranny. And it's rarely good to take up arms and go to war. If you have to do door number one, it, re it represents a failure of your philosophy. And Lao Tzu, the famous Taoist sage who wrote uh, the most well-known Taoist book in the Western world, the Tao Te Ching, uh, the book of uh, the way and its power, um, that, that author says that, you know, when we go to war, go to war to win, but recognize that the fact that you're going to war represents a failure of your philosophy. So mourn, mm -hmm. right? Mourn. Whether mm -hmm. you win or lose, mourn that you had to go to war. Civil disobedience in the context of Mad Monk Manifesto is a reminder to be aware of those forces that we've been talking about that are acting upon you. And when you see that they are wrong, with a capital R, when you, when you see that they are wrong, when you know that you're being maneuvered or manipulated or forced to do something that is not right, that you resist. Okay. Gabriella? Yeah, sorry. I, I was actually just taking that in uh, to manipulate and the forces to be aware. I was just thinking about that, actually, in my own life. Um Thank you for saying that. I have a question because this is a part uh, in your book that I haven't read yet, um, but that I'm really, really interested in. You say, why do you think American people are so angry? You use the word mad. I'm very interested in that because I agree. But I'd love your version. So years ago, um, I went to see my primary master. And he asked me, this is some decades ago, and he asked me, how are you doing? You look a little down. And I said, uh, yeah, I'm depressed. He said, really, you're depressed? You mean you're sad? I said, mm, sad is a shorter term condition. Depression means a little bit more uh, serious, a little bit more persuasive, a little bit more pervasive. And he said, oh, Are you taking any medicine for that? And I said, no, but I've thought about it. And he said, well, before you take medicine, just recognize that being depressed means that you don't understand who you are, what you're doing here in this world, and how the world works. And if you solve that, uh, those misunderstandings, you will no longer be depressed. And so when you ask me about anger, I think of this in a similar way. American people are very angry because they have been sold a bill of goods uh, about a wide range of things to expect from life and to emphasize on life uh, in life ranging from entitlement to america being the greatest country in the world to the expectation that we are unique and exceptional and all that stuff and that they deserve to live the life that they see on tv when they watch celebrity shows so mm -hmm. there's this distance between um the life that people in this country live and the life that they are being told they should be living. And that distance, 
that cognitive dissonance is the source both of frustration and depression, but also of anger. Oh, I think that's very well put because it's obvious that it's widening. Yeah, I, I, I like that too. It's because we see what we can't have and we're, we think that we should have it too, right? That's kind of what I'm hearing. Not, not only that, but that we want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have a quote, my own quote, that says, nobody strikes another human being coming from a positive place. Nobody. And then I yeah, usually very, say to Very rarely. Anyway, yeah. very so rarely. if we have 7 billion people on this planet, 6.9 billion people are in an unhappy state, whether it's anger or depression or any of those things, correct? That's right. Violence is the lowest common denominator of human existence, that's for mm -hmm. sure, of human interchange. But, you know, also to your point about the people on the planet being angry or unhappy, you know, we, we don't we don't have to. It is our job. We don't have to accept these models of life. We don't mm -hmm. have to accept these values and, and ambitions and worldviews that are being foisted upon us again by forces that are not interested in our well-being, but rather are interested in their own power and control. And so Mad Monk Manifesto is really about trying to help us wake up to these forces and wake up to ways and means by which we can be free of them. Wow, that is awesome. Is your book available on Amazon, by the way? Yes, thank you for asking available on Amazon, it's available in other places on, online, it's available at bookstores anywhere. If they don't have it in stock, they can order it quickly. Uh, it's well distributed, and it's also available on my, uh, through my website. Okay. You know, I just, I, I want to touch on another thing that I know that you go into in regards, th that you deal with, um, both I think I've, I've heard it in one of your speeches, but I think also in dealing with, with the book, and that is, um, your unhappiness with technology and where you believe it has taken us. Um, if you could make the decision, uh, you know, and, and you were in that role that you could choose what technology is allowed and how much it's allowed to play in our lives, what would you do? How would you uh, make the changes necessary to take us away from the direction it has now taken us? Technology is like a gun or a blade. You can use the gun to uh, save your own life, um, you know, shoot the cobra that's about to bite you in the face um, and then bury it respectfully. Or, or you can use the gun to go out and terrorize other people. You can use the blade to save the lives of your family and yourself, or you can use the blade to dominate and control and terrorize. And so technology is another tool. My objections to technology have to do with the fact that we are we are subject to this effect of this enormously powerful tool and its stunningly addictive qualities. We have become dependent upon it. We don't recognize its ubiquity in our lives or understand the full consequences of that ubiquity. Of course, the smartphone in hand um, is, is, is the most nefarious uh, of these things. But, you know, I mentioned a simple... Uh, a remedy for this earlier, which is to disengage from social media, 
to spend minimal time on the computer other than what you are doing for gainful employee and and to uh, embrace quiet time in Taoist practices such as Tai Chi and Qigong, to engage time for meditation, and to read books. Because, of course, earlier I mentioned thinking deeply about things, and books are no more or less an opportunity taken by somebody, an author, to think deeply about something and share those thoughts with you. You know, I I just looked at the time. Um, this is the fastest that any time has ever gone by on a show. Um, I appreciate your time so much, uh, but I mean, we're going to have to wrap this up. But first of all, uh, I would love to have you back. I feel there's so much more that we could go into, um, you know, and, and, you know, obviously, Gabriella, I mean, every week we'd love to have you on. Um, so if, for everybody out there, I just, you know, the best thing I can tell you is is get the book. Again, it is it is called The Mad Monk Manifesto. It's a prescription for evolution, revolution, and global awakening. Um, you know, if there's if there's one book that you go out and get, get this um, and take in the information, you know, do with it as you wish, but without having it, you don't know what you don't have. So take it in. Um, see what you think, and, uh, and hopefully we can have um, uh, Monk Yoon back on the show again, and you'll have more questions because more of you will have bought the book, and you'll now have even more questions on how you can take it further. Um, Yoon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for honoring me with the invitation. All right. And Gabriella, uh, as usual, it is always wonderful to have you. Um, and again, for everybody out there, if you get the chance, you can go to uh, her website. Um, can you give that, Gabriella, real quick? It is daretobekindmovement.global or daretobekindmovement.com. And uh, you know, you really have to come back so that I can ask you much more questions. <laughs> Many more. <laughs> All right. And, and and for everybody out there, uh, just be with us again next week um, and be good human beings um, and go out and do an act of kindness and tell us about it next week on Answers for the Family. Absolutely. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza. Right here on L.A. Talk Radio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.